0: Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin.
1: We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you.
0: We are not experts or therapists, we're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully it is.
1: Hello, Bridget. Hi,
0: Terry. Today's guest is a perfect example of why sharing the stories of our mental health challenges can be a life raft for others. As a teenager, she had no words to describe what was going on in her mind. As a high achiever, adults and professionals in her life dismissed her struggles as side effects of high stress, or worse, teen drama, angst, or an overly active imagination.
1: As a result, for more than 20 years, Michelle Yang kept her depression and bipolar disorder secret while wondering if a normal, balanced life was even an option with those conditions. Recently,
0: recognizing those questions and fears were not hers alone, Michelle decided to be the life raft and to share her own story. And she did it in a big way, writing an article in the Huffington Post titled, My Mental Illness Did Not Prevent Me From Succeeding, But The Stigma Nearly Did. Here now is Michelle Yang giving her voice to depression.
1: So let's start at the beginning and tell me, how old were you when you started having what you now know were symptoms?
2: You know, that's hard to say, I think, because I remember having trouble sleeping really young. And I now as an adult, knowing what I know, wonder if that's like signs that I was neuroatypical right Mm -hmm. Um, but really it was my teenage years like most people um, Mm -hmm. when I had prolonged depression and severe anxiety uh, and I didn't really have the word for things right
1: yeah and what was it like how did it manifest
2: so I immigrated when I was nine from Korea and uh, my family we none of us had ever been to the West. We'd never left, you know, our region, Korea and Taiwan um, beforehand. And so it was a huge leap of faith. My parents didn't speak English. None of us spoke English. And so, you know, we don't often talk about the trauma of immigration, even in the best of circumstances. But yeah, that was a really traumatic
1: move for us. In addition to culture shock for the whole family, Michelle's parents underwent drastic career changes, which also added to the stress in her home.
2: My parents are both um, college educated. My father was a really well-respected, like, higher-ranking school official in our close-knit community. And so once we immigrated, he became the lowest-ranking cook in the kitchen in chinese kitchens because he didn't speak the language and my mom was a stay at home mom in back in korea but in the states she became a bus girl because that's the only thing she could do right without speaking english and so um and my brother and i my brother was six i was nine we were home alone a lot for the first time you know and uh it was yeah it was really tough
1: Michelle's parents, with family help, were eventually able to buy what she calls a small takeout joint, where she started working at age 12. By then, just three years after moving to the United States, she was the best English speaker in the family, which brought lots of responsibilities not typically placed on preteens' shoulders, handling landlord and billing disputes, translating at doctor's appointments and the like. My parents put on
2: a lot of pressure intentional or not. And they also didn't trust the system. And so that was a, uh, you know, not a healthy combination. So under all the pressure, I became depressed.
1: Depression was just one of the disorders that challenged Michelle, and their symptoms were most pronounced in relation to her schooling.
2: I was an A student. I was like the best student. Yeah, I was so nervous about every test and project, and. Um, So I would go, like, weeks without sleep. And so in high school, I started having, you know, once it would go for a period of being really bad, having um, some, like, manic episode with uh, psychotic uh, tendencies where I would hear, I would think that the radio was talking to me, you know, that the DJ was actually talking to me, it was about me, that movies were about me, like, and... I would just, yeah, be in this place. It sounds so scary. Yeah, it was terrifying.
1: Terrifying during the episodes, when she had little ability to differentiate between reality and symptoms, but also after they passed.
2: But there was always inevitably a realization of, oh my God, what did I do? And the shame that washed over, that crushing shame, you know, and you're a a high schooler where image is everything, where how you see yourself, you think you care so much about what other people think. And I just, it was just uh, like, I felt like I couldn't get up, right? So, and it was just, it, it just, this just cycled,
1: you know? And what kind of behaviors, if you wanted to give me just a a, a little example, you know that you were afraid other people would notice and and judge you by
2: people like so. So I think for the most part, people didn't really understand what's going on either. That what was going on in my head, that what I thought was going on, but under this under these circumstances, I would do weird things that were out of character. Like when I was taking a final, instead of taking this final, I doodled all over it about this boy that I had a crush on, (laughs) you know, and I wrote, I would write this gibberish like all over the paper. I would draw pictures. Yeah. And, and I turn it in, I turned it in. And she would be like, she sat me down afterwards, like, you know, are you okay? Like,
1: is this? Michelle was allowed to retake the test, something we will revisit in next week's episode. Still, looking back on that and other episodes was always really, really hard.
2: And somehow, like, I I would go through a period of, like, how do I recover from this? I'm so humiliated. There's so much shame. Like, no one will ever, no one will ever. Yet, it was always worse in my own head. Or people were just, like, too caught up in their lives to Mm -hmm. notice it that much. Or because I maintained good grades, that they just kind of excused a lot of the behavior or just swept it under the rug. Like, oh, um, Michelle's going to be different because her family's are immigrants. And so there was a lot kind of um, swept under like cultural differences.
1: So if the schools thought it, we are we're calling it manic behavior. Is that the, is that right to say?
2: Yeah, you okay. can say that. Um,
1: yeah. Th- if they thought your behaviors were a result of cultural differences, what did you think they were?
2: I didn't know, right? I was so scared. I was confused. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was really ashamed, like I, like I mentioned. Um, yeah, I knew that I was depressed because that's, I think, really easy to identify. And it, this was the 90s, right? The grunge, the grunge period where every, but every teenager walked around saying, I'm really depressed, you mm-hmm. know? And and so I didn't know why I was different. And the, like, the anxiety of it, uh, all I could call it was fear the panic like that I felt before a book report was due, before a final exam, even though I seriously graduated like number two in my class. Yet I was so terrified. And um, and of course now I know that as anxiety, like a severe anxiety, probably panic attacks, but I didn't um, I didn't have the words to describe. It. I would just say to my parents, I'd say mom, I'm scared. Like, dad, I'm so scared that I, I couldn't sleep because I was so scared.
1: In that fearful place, Michelle knew something was really wrong and she needed help. So while on one hand, it may have seemed like a gift for a self-conscious teen to get a pass on her out-of-character behaviors in school, on the other...
2: Yes, it absolutely prevented me from accessing help. Yeah, and I begged my parents for help. Um, because I, I took a psychology class in high school, and actually that high school teacher lived with bipolar disorder. And of course at the time I did not know, I had not awareness at all that, that I might have what she has. You know, because everybody's symptoms can look very different, and, my, and my, my symptoms were different
1: from her. So relying just on the textbook and class discussions, Michelle saw herself in the descriptions.
2: It, named, it helped me name things, and I was like, I think I have this, I think I have this.
1: While that knowledge and those names empowered Michelle, they scared the hell out of her parents.
2: But I did. I asked my parents to take me to see someone for help, and they were terrified of it because they thought it would end up on my permanent record, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. They just believed in it. There was a permanent cra- record tracking everybody, and that that would mean I would not get into college if there was any record of me anywhere, <laughs> having mm-hmm. seen a therapist of any kind, which is kind of a really silly idea now. But um, it was a really dire situation for them. Like they knew I needed help, but they were afraid. That's how powerful the stigma was.
1: That's how powerful the stigma was. It's hard to even imagine, but there are so many different stories and perspectives and factors and cultural issues, all that go into that, that keep people from getting the help they need. And it's it's wonderful that Michelle is, is speaking out and helping other people realize that that place, um, you can get out of it.
0: Mm. We wanted to read a little snippet from Michelle's Huffington Post article. This is her description of the first time her family finally conceded and brought her to a professional for evaluation. My father drove us eight hours across state lines for a secret appointment in the dark of the night. I was 16 years old when my symptoms could no longer be shrouded in denial. We arrived at the office of a handsome family doctor, the brother of a trusted friend, then waited until dark for the clinic to close so we could speak with him alone and off the record. This appointment needed to be in secret. Finally given the chance to talk to a professional, I detailed everything. I was so grateful to finally get help. Afterward, the doctor called my father back into the exam room and told him exactly what he wanted to hear. Your daughter is fine. She just has an overactive imagination. (sighs) When I read that, Terry, oh, my heart broke. She finally got close enough to get some help and yet again wasn't taken seriously and was dismissed.
1: Mm -hmm. And it would be four years before, which you'll hear next week, you know, four years before she actually got medical attention and a diagnosis. And it is just heartbreaking. And I hope that's a really extreme example. You know, the idea of having to speak alone and off the record and the shame of it all. But wow, when I read it too, I just thought that wasn't that long ago.
0: Mm. We will continue our discussion with Michelle next week, picking up her eventual diagnosis, and we'll be linking to both her article and her
1: blog. Thank you, Michelle. We really appreciate you being so open and honest. hmm
0: We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's.
1: We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road.
0: And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.